everybody. Thank you so much for joining today. We are talking with Candace and Brandon, and we're talking about finding answers when you are diagnosed with a chronic illness and what that looks like from the time of diagnosis to the future and how you are going to live your life or what you go through and what you feel when these things happen and some tips and tricks on how to deal with it and what that's going to look like. Um, Candace, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Candace. Um, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Uh, I own a functional fitness gym. Uh, I have uh, two kids, two girls, they're 10 and 4, and a husband that's a Fort Worth firefighter. Um, and then my diagnosis is um, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. All right. Awesome. Thank you for joining. And Brandon? Hi, my name is Brandon Mao, and I live in Southern California, was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic at the age of 3, and have had a kidney uh, removed and a pancreas-only transplant a year and four months ago. And Brandon, you have such an amazing story, and we'll get into all of that too, but thank you so much for joining. So what I kind of want to start with is just a little bit of background. So Candace, I'm going to start with you because I know a lot of people may not know what hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I always have to like slow down as I'm talking <laughs> what that is. So why don't you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. And I'll just say I'm no expert. I'm recently diagnosed and so I'm still learning as well. Um, but basically my body produces faulty collagen. Um, so that affects all of my connective tissues, um, my muscles, ligaments, tendons, joints um, can affect, you know, organs, all of that. Mm. Um, so basically my joints can dislocate, partially dislocate, um, uh, hyperextend, um, just kind of when they want to. Um, so it's characterized with a lot of joint pain, um, chronic fatigue and, um, just, uh, really flexible joints. And how did they diagnose that? Well, long process. And I know we'll go into that later. Right. Um, but basically, um, they can do genetic testing as well as some clinical tests, um, checking your joints, um, you know, the mobility that you have in various joints, your elbows, your knees, your fingers, um, things like that. Wow. That's, yeah, it's so interesting, like hearing your story and especially you being an athlete and like, and we'll get into that even more, but it's just sure. so crazy to me. And then Brandon, why don't you tell a little bit about your diabetes history and then what led to the kidney stuff and then the pancreas? Sure, I'll make it quick. So yeah, at the age of three, I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic. I don't ever even really remember much about it. So I don't know, I didn't know a life without being a diabetic. Mm -hmm. And then at the age of 31, I started having this terrible pain in my side and it, it turned out that it was two kidney stones the size of my thumbnail that were lodged in my kidney causing damage that had been probably forming for its entire life. And so they were moving around and causing damage. And I was septic and so um, went to the hospital, did emergency surgery, and uh, the kidney just never recovered. 
And so they did six more surgeries and then finally removed the kidney because it never recovered. And it kind of, uh, because insulin is processed through the kidneys and um, being septic so many times, it set my body in chaos. And then my body could no longer process insulin and break down food correctly and attach it. And so I then became a brittle, hypoglycemic, unaware diabetic, meaning no matter what I did, I had no control over diabetes, no matter what I ate, no matter what insulin I took. And the only treatment after trying every option that is out there to help control hypoglycemia, and that's when your blood sugar crashes so low that you die, um, after being pronounced dead twice and resuscitated in some way, they decided that a pancreas only transplant was the only way to keep me alive. And I was able to get one and it has been successful thus far. And that was kind of my medical journey. Wow. And just for people who don't know, what's the difference between a type one and a type two diabetic? So a type one is when uh, your pancreas does not create insulin at all. Meaning Mm -hmm. when you eat food, your body has to create insulin to distribute the sugars amongst the body. And when you're a type one, you have to supplement that uh, function of the pancreas with insulin. Type two diabetes means that your pancreas produces insulin, just not enough. And so you can modify diet and take other medications outside of insulin to boost your pancreas to make enough insulin. Wow. And just, um, so people know both type one and type two can end in kidney failure and needing a pancreas transplant, right? Yep. Yeah. So they're both outcomes of those or complications of those, but for you, it was being type one. Now I'm curious for each of you, what was your diagnosis process? So Candace, like you're an athlete, you own a gym, mm-hmm. you're competitive, like what mm-hmm. happened? Um, I'll try to you know, make a long story short, but basically ever since I was in high school, I've experienced pain um, that um, couldn't really be explained. I did have scoliosis, which is a like a comorbidity of um, EDS, um, but my scoliosis was very mild. I had friends that had it a lot worse that had to wear braces and have surgery. Mine wasn't really that bad. Um, and so my pain, it was kind of hard to to explain by the scoliosis, but we chalked it up to that. Um, and then after I had my second child, I think is when um, I got much worse. Uh, in my mind, it might have had something to do with, you know, your body produces more of the hormone relaxin when you're pregnant to help you kind of um, your joints to to be more mobile. I was already hypermobile to begin with. And so after um, I had Bindi, who's four years old, it's kind of been a downhill process. Um, My uh, background is in CrossFit. So I'm doing really high impact workouts um, and I would have pain. Um, Usually I could take a few days off and get back to working out um, and I would just go to the chiropractor, get adjusted or or get a, you know, a cortisone shot or whatever. So um, then once I started to do competitive weightlifting, um, Olympic weightlifting, which is the snatch and the clean and jerk, if you've ever watched um, weightlifting in the Olympics, um, that's when I started to move a lot bigger weight and my joints were under a lot more stress um, a lot more often. 
And that's when I started to really have the debilitating pain where I wasn't able to walk after super heavy days. Um, and the fatigue was really catching up with me. Um, and that's when I started looking a little deeper for answers because I knew that it was just not adding up. It wasn't making sense. And the doctors and the chiropractors that I was seeing at the time really couldn't help me. I've tried, you know, um, physical therapy and, and all different types of, um, of doctors, uh, to help me. And, uh, so then, um, I just started searching, meeting people that had um, similar circumstances that recommended I go to a rheumatologist. And so um, my rheumatologist is the one who was able to diagnose me um, with EDS. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And how long was the process from when you originally started having pain to when you finally figured out a diagnosis? Yeah. So the time when I would say it really flared up would be when I had been D about four years ago. And then the time when it was just um, debilitating would have been a, almost two years ago. So I would say the journey took a solid couple of years. That's a lot of time to be in mm -hmm. pain with no answers. And honestly, I don't remember the statistic, but I actually got a diagnosis a lot quicker than most people. Oh, really? um, on average, I think it might take like 10 years or something like that for someone with EDS to actually be diagnosed. So I can't imagine being in just intense pain for that long. I know. I know. We both know it's like, yes, having a diagnosis and having an illness sucks. But the worst thing is actually not knowing what's wrong with you because right. you can't do anything. You yeah. don't have a course of action. So I'm happy you're able to get that diagnosis. Me and too. You have some options in front of you now. Yes. And then Brandon, what did that process look like for you for figuring out your diagnosis of everything? And because you were a controlled diabetic too. Yeah. So uh, I'll just refer to the transplant because that's like the, the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And the, okay. all the information regarding that happened after all the kidney stuff, which was all related back to the kidney stone that I waited too long to go to the hospital to take care of. And so when my blood sugar started diving, which, right. which what that means is I would eat food and then come and then watch TV or go on a walk. Or if I were to be sitting here in this interview right now, everything would be completely normal. And in about 30 seconds, I would just fall over and pass out. And that's not normal. <laughs> that is not something that a regular diabetic goes through. And from someone for having it for 31 years, all of a sudden going from ne never facing that to facing it on a daily basis, I was like, what is going on? Um, so I went to my regular endocrinologist and their advice was for me just to eat a graham cracker before bed. And that would solve all of my problems. And that didn't work. And so I immediately went back and I was like, this isn't working. What else can we do? And so like we tried to put me on such a low dose of insulin that my blood sugar would only have to stay high and that didn't work. And then we went and did testing and we were finding out that my body wasn't breaking down food correctly and that I had insulin antibodies. And so my body was holding on to insulin and not processing it as it should. And so things were hitting me way harder. And then that was kind of like the end of what the doctor could do for me. She was like, I don't know what else to do. So I went to another doctor and then they didn't do anything. And so after about eight doctor's appointments, I finally walked in 
and um, to a doctor. And it was the first time of me ever being there, but all my records had been sent over. And she said to me, she walked in, sat down and she just said, I've seen a couple patients like you, you have hypoglycemic, unaware, and you're brittle diabetic. And with those things, the only treatment is the pancreas only transplant. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was a whole journey in and of itself. So that was about a year and a half process of me figuring that out. And in that year and a half process, I died twice. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I, I no longer could work because um, one low blood sugar, it takes all the energy out of you and completely shuts down your brain. And then your body has to restart. And that takes a lot of energy and effort and to be able to do multiple things at once. It's just, it's, it's impossible. So from this happy, healthy life to this completely detrimental life, and I was determined to find answers. And it took me about a year and a half to really know what was going on. Jeez. See, like, and for people who don't know, by the way, I have a kidney transplant um, and the kidney trans, the kidney issues were, I had my issues getting diagnosed when I was a child. And when I was finally diagnosed from then on, that was pretty straightforward as far as that, because that's something you can test for pretty easily. Although a lot of people who have kidney issues don't know until it's way too late. Um, for me, it's my gut issues that I've had to really go after and figure out for myself or doctors couldn't help me. But even with that, yes, food can be frustrating, but it's not the same as being in intense pain and dying and passing out and all of that. So like, for both of you, what did that feel like during those years where you didn't have a clear answer, where you didn't have a clear path? What did that feel like for you? Um, for me, it was just hopeless. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't really know what to do because everything seemed so, you know, inexplicable. So, I mean, I was just, um, just really not sure where to go from there. Yeah. And you had your, you had your, you were, this was post-pregnancy, right? Yes. So you also had a little one to think of and mm -hmm. everything you do, and you have your gym. And so you're a very, it's not like you can just like, you're in an office or sitting home. You're super. Right. right. And the stress, um, you know, obviously stress um, can make it, you know, kind of flare up or whatever with, you know, any sort of autoimmune type um uh, disease. And so I was just, um, the stress of owning a gym and raising two kids a lot of time by myself when my husband's on duty, um, it just made it worse. So I was just like in a constant state of like, um, turmoil. Yeah. Wow. And Brandon, what about for you? Yeah. For me, um, it was really, so my whole life, it, everything was well controlled. I took care of it. If there was a problem, I would I would solve it and find the solution and everything would be good. And this was one of those things where you hit a roadblock and it was like, I can't find an answer. I can't find a way around this. I don't know what to do. So you kind of in your head, you go you go through this element of well, what is going on? What am I doing wrong? Uh, who can I go for, for help? Nobody's able to help me. Um, started going online um, and searching and just feeling very lost because your body's betraying you and you can't find answers and you can't do anything about it. 
And so that's kind of like where I was with my mindset and feelings with all of that. It was just confusion uh, and feeling lost and just not really knowing what to do or what path to take because it was it almost like it, it didn't exist um, because there weren't enough people who have gone through what I did for information to be available. Right. Yeah, that's true. And for me, I feel like it was the opposite. The, my my symptoms were so just like generalized that so many people had gone through situations similar that it was hard to find a diagnosis because chronic pain and chronic fatigue could be a million different things. You know what I mean? So uh, like it was almost the exact opposite um but still equally as confusing um and hard to pin down an answer so then you guys have totally opposite like aspects of this so what what do you guys think is the best way or what works for you to try to filter out through all this stuff of like you know for you you have there's so many people with similar symptoms brandon there's so few people with those symptoms so people are confused how do you get from two totally different points that both seem kind of like lost and like there's no answer to finding an answer? Oh, I, I can go first. I got, I have a lot on this because I searched for answers forever. <laughs> so I, 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 for me, I, I am a problem solver. Like that yeah. is my life. And if there is an issue, I will find out what is the cause and what is the solution. And I was like determined. So I made appointments with every single doctor I could. I, I researched everything I could, talked to everyone that I could. And it, it really led to all dead ends. But that was kind of like my go get attitude of I don't care what it takes. I'm going to find the answer. So I went to like holistic healers. I went to medical gurus. I, I tried Eastern medicine. I, um, I tried all different uh, medical organizations, the ones that will find the answer and they'll never charge you. I, all I, I went to all of them. And at the end of the day, it was just kind of like, we just don't know what's what's going on with you. And it wasn't until um, I went to that one doctor that gave me the clear answer. And it was like an actual answer with the solution. Well, all the other ones were like, try this, try that, maybe this, it could be that. And so that is kind of what I was able to do to finally do it. So it was kind of me taking the proactive approach and being a self-advocate and just be yeah. willing to make the appointments, go to them. You know, even if they were, if it took me six months to get into it, I made the appointment and I showed up no matter what I felt like, because I knew that that was the only way I would get anywhere. That makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to, I think you have to, and that's like part of what we'll be talking about too, but you have to keep going and trying to find an answer because otherwise you're just living with pain or living with the unknown. And that's so much worse than getting some kind of answer that has some kind of path. Mm -hmm. like Candace, when you got your answer, you ended up finally getting on some medication, right? I did. And so I just um, was persistent, uh, like Brandon said, you know, making appointments and trying a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I just feel really blessed that I was able to find a doctor um, that that knew what to do with me, like, you know, like he said, that had an answer for me. Um, and so uh, in a lot of ways, I just 
I don't know if you want to say lucked out, but I just, I was persistent and I finally found someone that could help me. So now when you both found your doctors who finally diagnosed you, how much were they able to guide you on the process forward versus how much did you still have to research and find answers and do all of that stuff? Um, I would say that my doctor, I, I really like him. I think he really cares um, about his patients. Uh, and he did show me a book. I took a picture of a book that he told me to go buy um, and to read it. Um, but I feel like his, his knowledge is limited. Um, and so I just had to go find answers for myself. And for me, um, a lot of that I did through support groups, which um, I've also learned a lot of other lessons in those support groups. But, um, but it was good to be able to speak with um, people that were going through similar things as I was, um, because I could ask questions and, and get different experiences from different people. So I think that although my doctor um, cares a lot, um, most of the information that I have about um, EDS has been through other people um, that have it. That makes sense. I find that to be true a lot. What about for you, Brandon? Yeah, uh, for me, it was kind of after I was given that information about needing the transplant, it was, here's a referral and good luck because <laughs> they're not, my, my diabetic doctor, my endocrinologist is not a surgeon and I needed to go to a surgery center, a transplant center to get that information. And so the first one denied me. The second one denied me because I only had one kidney and I was very high risk because of my low blood sugars. So the, oh, and I also, the insurance didn't cover my um, transplant. So because I didn't have the cash just on hand up front, it was an immediate denial because I was too high risk. So for me, I didn't, I didn't get any help from the medical professionals in terms of what to do, how to pursue it, uh, the, the answers that I needed. It was, they agreed I needed the transplant, but they didn't give me steps or anything to do on how to get there until I finally got to a third hospital that sat me down and we talked about it and I asked a million questions and it was, I, I connected with somebody and they saw exactly where I was coming from. And they were like, here's the deal. If you can do this, then this is what we can do for you. And that, that that's kind of what it came down to. So like, if I were to give it a percentage, it was 99% of me seeking out answers and 1% of them providing the, the space and um, a little bit of information for me when I needed it. I think that's super accurate for a lot of things. And I don't think... And this will kind of go into our next question. Like for me personally, I don't think it's necessarily the doctor's fault always either, because mm -hmm. I think it happens so much from what I hear from people and what I see in some of these chat groups and just in general, mm -hmm. in that mo a lot of patients just want the easy fix, the pill or whatever mm -hmm. that thing is versus like, there's going to be some work. There's going to be some effort. You have to do some work, change your lifestyle, do this and that test some things out, maybe test out different medications, whatever it is. And then doctors have to deal with liability issues and all these other things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, I feel like they're kind of limited in some ways. And that's why it's so important for the patient to be like, 
let me do the research. Let me look, let me come to the doctor with questions and all of that. What do you guys feel like that's like, or what's your experience with that? Um, Well, in my situation, um, you know, the course of action could have been different depending on the patient. Um, Not everyone with EDS needs the same thing. And so I can't blame it on the doctor that he doesn't know my lifestyle, like that I'm a business owner. He doesn't know that I'm, you know, he doesn't know my diet. He doesn't know how old my kids are and how um, my husband's gone every third day. And like, there's so many different factors of like, what kinds of medications I might be able to try or no medication at all, or, you know, there's, there's so many different things. Um, And so for me, yes, he recommended medication right off the bat. And I was very um, leery of that just because um, I'm an athlete. I, I run a business. I have small children. I'm alone at home a lot of the time. Um, so if I'm like catatonic, you know, um, all of those things go away. So um, and because of the things that I had heard in support groups about this medication and that medication, um, and the stigma associated in general, like I feel like in health and fitness to be on medication, I was against it. And so I spent about a year and a half um, trying everything. You know, I did like the most extreme elimination diet you can imagine where I only ate like salmon and turkey and veggies forever. Um, And then I did um, supplements. I tried different supplements. I did, um, uh, acupressure and um, reflexology. Um, I've tried multiple different exercise regimens. Um, so I just tried all these different things and nothing was helping. And so in the end, I did try medication. Um, and the one that I went with has been awesome for me. And it doesn't work for some people. For some people, it's not an option. And I understand Um, that, you know, everyone is different and it's hard for the doctor to know everyone's individual situation. Like, yes, he, he's personable, but he just can't know what's going to be best for me. Um, so I would say that in his, um, defense, I think the best thing that he did for me was just say, like, we're going to start you on a low dose. Please trust me that if you decide this isn't for you, that I'm going to take you off of it. And we're going to try something else. Um, and, you know, one of the scary things about um, for me trying medication is like the side effects. You can find like any side effect under the sun. I, I mean, exact opposites. Um, and one of the side effects for one of the medications that I'm on can be like irrational beliefs that cannot be changed with and I'm like, what? So if I'm crazy, like, how do I know I don't need to be on this medication? Like, I promise I'm not going to let you go crazy. Um, and so anyway, uh, my doctor has been great, uh, but, you know, he just can't know everyone's individual um, situation. And so for me, it was just figuring it out on my own. And I'm proud of myself for trying to find something other than medication, just because it was important to me at the time. Um, But I'm also proud of myself for getting over it and moving on and doing what's best for me and for my health and my family and my business. So I love that so much because everything like 
I think it's everything we should be doing as patients and as individuals, because the reality is, I mean, we're all about the same age, but like a lot of people may be, you know, healthy into their thirties or whatever, but then it's their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, something happens. The same thing is true regardless of the age that you are. And so being willing to look for those things and be like, I know what I want to do with my body. I know what feels right for my body. So I'm not willing to try this, but you mm-hmm. didn't totally disregard it either. It mm-hmm. was like a back burner and you're like, I'm going to try mm-hmm. these things. And yes. then when I'm exhausted that, I'll come to this, which is great yes. because you know that this is now the best option for you. It's not like you went straight to it. And right. I was like, well, what if though? Like what mm-hmm. if this other stuff? And so that's right. so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Brandon, what about you? So I'm not here to shit on the medical community. I'm just here to give my opinion on what I've experienced. And I agree. Um, Most doctors are not out there just to pass you off to the next person. Um, Doctors are limited in knowledge to what they're used to and, and what they research and what they're involved in. And so a lot of it has to do with just getting in front of the right person. And when I was finally in front of the right person, which was a transplant uh, hospital, they look at criteria. And because they're all private, uh, everything is based on money and success rates. And so if I didn't meet their criteria, I then could not be treated, even though it was a life and death situation. And so when it comes down to that, I look at it and I and I understand it from the business point of view. Um, but uh, they are very knowledgeable about what they want and what they need. And if you do not fit within that box, yet they're, you're given an excuse as to why you're not going to be treated. And so right. that's kind of been my experience with, with all of that. Now, Brandon, elaborating on that a little bit, because like to me, the punchline of your story a little bit, not to put a financial number on it, but that's like a pretty big damn number. Mm-hmm. So you were, den- and like for people who've watched previous episodes, they also know that I've been denied for my transplant originally. Um, my transplant was when I was 21, but my team originally denied me, had to go through a bunch of hoops. And then they approved me months later after signing a contract and following all of these things. But now, especially hearing Brandon's story, that's nothing compared to what you had to do. Yeah. So I, um, I found this out like after the fact when I was told that, mm-hmm. oh, insurance doesn't cover pancreas, only transplants. And I wasn't given a reason why. So after doing research, um, getting involved legally and all that kind of stuff, you, you, I found out that a pancreas only, it's, it's very important because it has to be a pancreas only. So pancreas only transplant is an exception to the rule within the Affordable Care Act of mandatory coverage if it's medically necessary. So if it's a pancreas attached, uh, so basically as, as the best way it's, it's explained is the pancreas can go with any other organ and it would be covered with insurance. Or if the pancreas came after any other organ, then it would become, then it would be covered with insurance. But because it was a pancreas only, it wasn't after any other transplant, even though I had one uh, kidney removed already, one organ removed, it was the exception to the rule. Therefore, insurance companies aren't going to cover it because they're a business. And if it's something they don't have to do, why are they going to do it? So I fought them. I appealed. I sued. And I got a letter in the mail. And it said, while we agree this transplant is medically necessary for you to live, it is not covered because it's an exception in the Affordable Care Act. So it's like, well, 
what do you do? Where, where do you start to even start thinking about getting to $150,000? I don't come from wealth. I don't just have a bank account full of money. And so I, it was like, it was like a whole different thing. Not only was I dealing with the health thing, then I find out I have to raise all this money. And if I don't get it soon, I'm going to die because I'm, I was told that the, the next low blood sugar could be my last. And so I'm just thinking in my head, what do I do? Um, I don't have like enough collateral just to take, to take out a loan. I'm not buying a house. I'm investing in myself. And it really came down to me just talking it out with people and kind of researching it, seeing. And it was scary because when you research about people trying to raise money, you find out a lot of really bad and sad stories because information doesn't get in front of enough people and they can't raise money and they die. And that's even just for insulin. People don't have enough money for one bottle of insulin, which is between five and $800. And you need multiple of those per month and you don't make enough money. So you try to, you try to raise money online. You don't have enough money. You don't have insulin you die. And so it's like, well, what do I do? So like as someone who just doesn't, ask for help, I had to change my mindset and put all this information online and just say, look, here's where I'm at. Can you please help? If I can get however many people to just donate $5, I'll eventually get enough money. And by putting my information out online and a lot of people sharing it and figuring out that people there are some actual good people in the world. I was able to raise $250,000 in three months and was able to pay upfront for the transplant. That's so amazing. Mm -hmm. Like that just shows like if you put your mind to it, because didn't you tell me they only gave you like a few months to live or something along those lines, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So by the time I, I actually found the transplant hospital and went through everything, um, because before they before it was it was like you have less than two years to live and this was reaching that that point right. and so they knew that at any point i was going to go and it, that was a risk in of itself and so like they were taking extra risk on me because of all of that and so it was kind of like well unless you come up with the money we're not even going to uh, we're not even going to think about it. And so I first had to pay $20,000 to go through the approval process where you do all the testing and they make sure that you can handle it and that you're healthy and, and all that kind of stuff to, to be able to um, survive the transplant surgery, uh, surgery and to, to progress cool. well afterwards. And then on top of that, I needed a $250,000 in a trust bank account to uh, go over and give them, give it to them. And then, uh, the day after I did that, I was listed, um, on the UNOS transplant list here in, I think it's the fifth, do they, are they districts? I think it's the fifth district or whatever, but in the Southwest. So, yeah, I don't even pay attention to the districts anymore. I'm like, I don't know because also because when they change different things, like with the listing and the points, I've stopped paying attention to that, but yeah, something like that, that makes yeah. That makes sense. That's just so crazy to me because it's just, I mean, I can only think about like that takes determination and you both touched on something really important that I want to bring up is the mindset. Like Brandon, you have to let go of your mindset of I'm going to do everything alone. I don't need any help. And then Canvas, you have the mindset with that medication of like, there's a stigma. I'm an athlete. I shouldn't do this. Everybody's going to think this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. How did you 
work through mindset because I really feel like where so many, and I've talked to both of you about this, so many chronic illness patients get so stuck is here. It's mm -hmm. in the mind. Like that's where people get stuck. That's where they're just like fear mentality, staying stuck in place, dealing with pain and no answers and whatever else, because their mindset is in one place that won't allow them to move forward into the next space. So what did you guys do? Go ahead, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't really, I, I always want to give someone else the opportunity. Yeah. For me, it was, <laughs> I can go on forever. <laughs> yeah. No, from, cause really this is like, this is very recent for me. And like, it was such a realization for me. Like, this is my life now. I just, I want to let everybody, like, I'm just like wow. here for it to try to help with people because the information isn't out there. So like, for me, it was, I had to become vulnerable that it was like, that was the worst fear of my life to become vulnerable, to put myself out there. And if nobody gave money, I, I was like, well, then what, then what was my options? But that was my only option. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, what do I have to lose? And so it's kind of like, I had to change it to, I have everything to lose. If people know all of these bad things about me, I, like, I didn't, they're weaknesses. I don't look at them as good things, but in, in, in looking back at it, that's exactly what made me who I am today. This person that is not afraid to try new things, that is not afraid to speak out for myself or to be an advocate for other people. And by going through all of that and by be, by willing to change my attitude about it by just making the ask and just saying, look, here's what's going on in my life, becoming vulnerable and making the ask. It just it, like overnight, it just changed. Like my whole entire mindset just flipped. It went from being completely private. I don't want people to know that I'm sick. I, it's very embarrassing for, for people to see me like this. I don't want to, I don't want to know that. And then to be going, well, if I don't get your help, I'm not going to live. So if you're willing, and then to find out that people are actually willing to help, it just, it really just like shows you mentally that being stuck in your head is not the greatest thing because you convince yourself of, of untruths. And you don't know that they're true until you live it out. And so there are exceptions to the rule. And um, if you make that ask, and if you're very honest and open about it, uh, some miracles can actually happen. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. That's so cool. Vulnerability is such a tough, I mean, I know for me, like that is so tough. Like being willing to be vulnerable, like it's hard to be vulnerable with your friends, let alone mm -hmm. complete strangers out in the world on the internet. People are mean on the internet. Like even in these support groups, we've all talked about it. Like there are some nasty, <laughs> there's some good mm -hmm. people, obviously. And mm -hmm. an example is, you know, people who support it, but it really, it is such a mental thing to be willing to be like, I'm going to put myself out there. I need this. I have to take this chance and come what may, this is my next step. And that vulnerability is very true. And I really think that being willing to be vulnerable, I mean, you've even told me like how many people I found you on Instagram. I found you both on Instagram, but how many people have now reached out to you on Instagram asking you questions. So you being vulnerable and putting your story out there has now opened this space where people who have been in similar situations to you can come and find answers probably quicker than you were able to find answers. 
And you're now creating that just from that step of you being vulnerable. And that's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's kind of how I see it now at the time. I didn't realize that that's what it was. Um, uh, but afterwards, like, a, like a, a doctor mentioned to me, she said uh, she was one of the doctors that had s- seen me uh, prior to transplant. And, and she was one of the ones that were on the board to approve me and all that kind of stuff. And she saw me um, three months post transplant and she walked in the room crying. And I was like, what is going on? And she said, Brandon, I didn't, I fought for you to be listed because I knew that if you got the transplant, you would have a very successful life. But she said, I didn't think you'd make it long enough to get the transplant. And Mm -hmm. so to see you here today is one of the most motivating things that I've ever seen in a patient. And whatever you did to get through that, you need to share with people. And that, that really resonated with me because I, there was so little information online and stuff like that, that, that I thought, you know what, I've been given a second chance at life. Someone had to die for me to be alive because I, I, I have a cadaver organ in me and I am alive today because of that. Otherwise I would be dead. And so I feel like my way of giving back, uh, to the world and to make it a better place is to be able to be an advocate and to provide information and educate people on everything that I've been through. So if they're in any similar situation that at least you can, you can learn from what I went through. I don't have all the answers, but you can at least see what I tried and see if it works for you. And so Mm -hmm. really, yeah, that's what put me in that situation. That's so true. I'm so happy you're doing that. Mm -hmm. And Candace, what about for you? So for me, I had come to a really um, low point mentally, you know, chronic pain and fatigue can really wear down your mental state. So um, the pain was keeping me up at night. I was um, not sleeping and I was really at my wits end. Um, And so I went to a counselor. I thought that it would be good to just get some professional help um, to help me kind of work through some of that. And we talked a lot about identity and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. And so my identity is in Christ and our identity is our spirituality. It's not who we are physically because that can change, um, in a moment's, you know, notice with, without our choice, you know, you can be in a car accident and be paralyzed, or you can be diagnosed with something that you have no control over. Um, and so, you know, realizing, um, what my identity truly was and that it wasn't necessarily being a competitive athlete. It wasn't necessarily being a mother to small kids or being a wife, um, because all those things can change with or without my consent. Um, I just um, kind of came to grips with who I was and what was important to me. And so um, once I kind of figured out who I was, I was able to um, overcome some mental hurdles as far as, um, you know, starting medication and kind of reclaiming my life um, and my mental health. That's amazing. I think that's a really good point, too. It's like coming back to who you are and finding yourself and all of that is a big thing because I think I get super lost in this whole process of pain and everything else that Mm -hmm. you kind of get lost in like, okay, well, wait, who am I? What am I looking to do or what matters to me? And, you know, for you, it's like, what was it like being a mom and going through this? Because it's one thing to be single, 
Uh-huh. Another thing to be a mother and a wife. Yeah, it was heartbreaking um, because I always thought of myself as a really good mom. Like there were a lot of things in my life that I thought I hadn't done real well. But as a mom, I um, I didn't think I had it all together, but I was like, I am a good mom. Like I love my kids and I'm fun. And I felt like I just kind of was, I don't know, just killing it. I, you know what I mean? Like this is my calling um, to raise you know, little kids and and teach them how to be confident and healthy humans. And so um, last summer, I would say was probably my my worst um, period of time. And um, the fatigue had really overcome me. And so I couldn't, it wasn't that I wanted to sleep all the time. Like people that don't experience chronic fatigue, I don't think understand what it is. And I kind of would compare it to like when you wake up from a really long nap, like longer than you meant to, and you like cannot snap out of it and your body's tingling and you're miserable and you just feel like awful. That's how I felt all the time. So I would lay in bed in a dark room um, and I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't watch Netflix. Like it wasn't fun. I wasn't catching up on shows while my kids were in the other room playing. Like I was just laying in the dark, like wishing that I was outside with my kids playing or doing whatever. And, and once a week I would force myself to take them swimming and I would pay for it for the rest of the week. And it would be awful trying to recover from that. But, um, you know, once a week, I would just make myself do something with them. But for the most most part, I was um, just not even a mom. I was just, um, just laying around, you know, trying to exist. Um, and so that was probably one of the hardest parts. The pain you can kind of push through, it sucks. Um, The pain you can push through, it's the fatigue that I've really struggled with, I think, the most. And and like I mentioned, the way that it affects you mentally. So then because I couldn't play with my kids and I felt like a bad mom, I was depressed. Um, And those are just, you know, really hard things to snap out of. So. And did the medication change that for you or partly just like your mentality or what made you come past that? Yeah. So um, I'm on a couple of different medications. Um, One of them is for the pain and one of them is more for the mental aspect, um, depression, anxiety. Um, And so uh, both of them have worked hand in hand to pull me out of that. So I have less pain, I have less fatigue, and I'm not as depressed or anxious. So just all of it working together has helped me. And so now like it's, you know, it's been warming up in Texas. Um, Sophie, my 10 year old is homeschooling right now, just like every other kid in the country. And so um, it's been fun because we sit in the driveway every day and we do her schoolwork and we enjoy the, you know, the sunlight and the warm temperature. And she rides her bike and I watch her all day. And the four year old, she just, plays in the front yard and digs in the dirt. And so um, it's, it's just been life changing to get on both of those medications. So that's so cool. And this kind of leads us into like the next thing I wanted to talk about a bit, especially since we've been talking about mindset and everything, but what do you both feel like you have to overcome regularly to keep looking to the future and to keep living a life you enjoy having those moments with your little one, Brandon, all the things I know you want to do, you know, coming up in your life, because with every chronic illness, as we all know, 
there's that little stuff in the back of your head of like complications and all this other stuff and things you can get bogged down with. And especially like, let's not ignore it. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. And so that just like adds fuel to the fire for a lot of people where they're like, wait a minute, I'm dealing with all this and I might die if I go outside and catch this virus. Like I'm not, and I've talked to both of you about this. There's so many people that are like, I'm staying put for the next like year. I'm not doing anything. And for me, that's highly unrealistic um, because it's just is like, for me personally, it's more about like, we're going to get through this. You're going to take the precautions you're going to take just like with everything else and find what's right for you. But you have to live a life, like you were saying, come back to who you are, but Mm -hmm. you have to live a life that you are happy with, that you can at the end of the day, lay in bed and be like, I am happy with what I did. But what do you guys feel like you have to do to keep moving forward and not get stuck in all of that stuff? Mm. Um, I guess I'll keep going since I was already kind of on that track. But um, for me, um, being able to adapt um, because I'm not like going to be cured or, um, you know, I have to take it day to day. Um, some days are really good. Like the medication works and it helps. And, um, I have a lot less pain and fatigue. Um, but some days are hard. I told you before we hopped on, like it's raining in Texas and as silly as it sounds like the rain is hard on me. I feel it in my bones. Um, and I'm just struggling today. And so just taking it day to day, if, you know, today's not the day that I do Pinterest projects all day with my kids, like allowing myself to like, if I do need to lay in bed today, like today will be the day that I do that. And if I feel better tomorrow, then I will do all the projects and all the fun stuff with my kids. Um, Just kind of letting me, like I said, day to day, um, letting me redefine myself all the time. So if I'm doing really well and weightlifting is going to work for a couple of months, then like, I'm going to enjoy that and I'm going to do it. And then if I'm not able to do it for a while, then I'll try to enjoy what I am able to do after that, you know? Um, And so just being able to kind of let go of expectation, I guess. That's a really good point. It's, um, would you say it's more about like not only letting go of expectation, but you said living in the day-to-day, is it kind of like moment to moment and just assessing and being like, what's best for you in that moment? Or do you really find yourself still planning a lot? Um, No, I don't plan anything really. Um, I plan a little bit, but you know, it's, it's hard to plan things um, like this. And so, I mean, yes, I can, and I, and I plan on um, signing up for a weightlifting meet in the future. Uh, But if it doesn't work out, you know, allowing myself to bail if I have to, you know, Um, or if I do make plans to take the kids to the pool and then it's like not an option anymore. like just allowing myself a little bit of grace um, to just uh, take what I need every day, you know, and not beating yourself up about it, right? Like, yes, I think it's a hard thing too, especially I'm sure you being an athlete, it's like, what do you do to find that place of like, I'm going to allow this and mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk down to myself right. because of it. 
Yeah, and in counseling, I've talked a lot um, about like the script that people expect you to follow. So it's not just necessarily my expectations for myself, which is part of it, but also what people expect of you, what people expect a mother to do or expect a gym owner or a weightlifter to do. I have to let go of all of those, um, just like I let go of, you know, a fitness professional maybe shouldn't be on medication or whatever kind of stigmas or expectations there are, just letting go of all of that and being who I need to be day to day. Totally get that. Brandon, what about for you? Yeah. So for me, um, I see every day as a victory because it, to me, it's a gift and whatever I'm able to accomplish every day is that is what I was able to do. And I, and I try to live it to the full. It's not to be like cliche, but right now uh, my type one diabetes is on pause. While I do not have to take insulin, I still have 30 over 30 years of a chronic illness that uh, has affected my body. And I'm dealing with all of those effects. My kidney is in stage three kidney disease that will not improve and it might get worse and I might need a kidney in the future. If my transplant fails, I will die. And so th those are just thoughts that I have to overcome. And then not to mention all the medication and the side effects of the medication every single day, having a compromised immune system to the point that I do, uh, where it's essentially non-existent. If I get sick, that can mean death. And so there's a lot of things that I just have to take into consideration. And like you said, I don't let that control my life um, and make me live in a bubble. I take the precautions I can. I go look like a, a circus freak. I put my mask on. If people are a big group of people are walking, I'll, I don't mind. I'll walk to the other side of the road. And, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm out here and I'm doing the best that I can and trying to enjoy life and make it count for me that day. I no longer try to live up to other people's expectations. Um, I try to make sure that I am happy with what I'm doing and that I'm okay with that. And very similar to what Candace said, if I set a goal and I don't meet it, I don't beat myself up about it. I'm like, you know what? At least I tried. And to me, that's all that matters. And I'm okay with that. And that's really, that's really me overcoming an obstacle is just being okay. Um, at least setting a goal and trying to get to it. And it doesn't mean that I need that. I absolutely have to meet them, but at least I'm working towards something. I'm not just at this state of just, Oh, okay. Life just resumes as normal. It's no, currently I'm on borrowed time and there's a lot of risks uh, and things to overcome with that. That doesn't stop me from trying to live a life. And so I just, I really, I try to enjoy it. And, and I, I, I really am on borrowed time. It doesn't mean I'm going and doing crazy things, but even being able to come and do this, um, a year and a half ago would have been impossible. And today mm -hmm. I'm here doing that. I see that as like a huge victory and something that, that has been overcome. And I just think, um, that it, it, it's all with the mindset. And if you're able to put that in the right perspective, it's amazing what you can accomplish and be okay with. Because uh, the smallest things end up being the biggest victories. Yeah, that is so true. And it's, good, it's such a good reminder. Like hearing you both talk, I'm like, I think I needed to hear this from both of you today. Because like, <laughs> we all have those moments where I'm like, 
darn it, I haven't been accomplishing enough and I haven't been doing this and this that I set out. And then it's like, okay, chill out. Like <laughs> there's time, you have to give yourself that space. And like, and we all get caught up in that. Like I'm 13 years post-transplant and I still like, you go back and forth between all of it. And it is, you both are so right. It is so important to give yourself that space and count those small victories as you move forward. Um, and then like, so wrapping it back around a little bit, do you feel that both of your abilities to be present, to be in this moment and to look to the future is somewhat tied in to your ability to be an advocate for yourself and that you did take charge and that like those mentalities line up at all? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the going through everything made mm -hmm. it so that it, it like tempered me into the person to be the advocate and to, if I, if there's an issue, I know like right away, uh, I'll research it and I'll call and I'll message it and I'll get to the bottom of it far quicker than I ever did before. And had I not gone through all of that, I would not be in that uh, situation today. And so that it really set, I think that going through all that set me up for success instead of, um, and I think this is, it's a mental thing with a lot of people with chronic illness is they think that it's, it's a failure and that they're not succeeding in life. And I think that that needs to be looked at opposite where you've been, you've been given something that it, not everybody else has. And while it is baggage and hard to deal with, but you can, there are tools and you can deal with it. And that makes you a stronger, better person. And uh, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And if people don't agree with you, then they can just see their way out of your life and you can just live your best life. And that's kind mm -hmm. of like that whole mentality happened because of everything that I've been through. I totally believe that. What about for you, Candace? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are probably a lot of people living with EDS that don't even know that they have it and may never even get a diagnosis. And like you said, um, you're going to have it either way, um, but to know what you have and to be able to look for um, solutions um, is such a blessing. So I was going to have EDS whether I knew about it or not, but I'm so glad that I got my diagnosis because now um, I can do my own research and find out, um, you know, what's best for me. Um, and even, you know, the people that are diagnosed that aren't looking for solutions. We talked a little bit about the support groups and I don't want to knock any of them, but I've, I'm in a, a few of them and, and there's a different tone, I feel like, in a lot of them. And some of them, it's almost like you just feed off the negativity and it's kind of like um, depressing. And it can easily be that way because, I mean, a lot of people with EDS are much worse off than me. Um, and I count myself lucky. Um, so I can't, I don't knock them for being negative. Um, but at the same time, like the groups that I enjoy being a part of are the ones that are like solution oriented, people that are trying to find ways um, to do things, to live a better life, to accomplish more things. Um, and so, I feel like the people that are constantly searching for answers are the people that are going to be healthier and happier. I totally agree with you. I think when I think about it, and especially hearing you two talk, for me, I think where the correlation is, is it's the difference between feeling like you have some control, even though 
in reality, you don't necessarily have like, you don't have like, you didn't control your diabetes. You didn't control getting this. You didn't control getting that disease, but what you can control, you do control. And I think that correlates to the future of in the middle of a pandemic, what you can control, you do control. Mm -hmm. So then feel like you can move forward versus I think there's a group of people who let everything everything feels so out of control and they don't feel like they have any control or mm -hmm. take control or take action and responsibility for the part of this that's theirs to own, but I think continue to feel out of control and uh, victimized by everything because they can't see their way out of that in their mentality and in their choices personally. And I think that's where you both are like such a great example. I think those things totally correlate and you both show that so much of taking control, having control and moving forward with that in your illnesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that, yeah, you, you stated that perfectly and it's very true. Yeah. And then my last question for you guys, what advice do you have for somebody who is diagnosed with your chronic illness or any other chronic illness? Candace, you want to go Candace. first? <laughs> sure. Um, so for someone um, diagnosed with my illness, definitely, and probably a lot of other chronic illnesses, um, I would say uh, do what's right for you. Um, it's good to take advice and, and to, to um, you know, talk to people who also have um, your illness. But um, especially like with the medication, there are people that say, you know, my medication is the devil, um, that it ruined their life or, you know, it affected them um, negatively. Um, but it's been a lifesaver for me, you know, and, and we've talked a lot about just the different things that I've been able to do to improve my quality of life that may not work for somebody else. So what works for you could be different. Um, so you really need to find out for yourself uh, what the right course of action is for you. Um, so it's good to take advice and it's good to be in support groups and all those things. But in the end, you need to do what's right for you. I think that's a super accurate, <laughs> accurate statement. <laughs> and then what about for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll speak more to like diabetics and the, the transplant situation. And then also any chronic illness kind of falls into that. But for me, the advice that I would give is to always try to take the best care of yourself. It's not always the easiest and it requires a lot of effort, but the the whole eating right thing and um following up with doctors and just doing the right thing ends up allowing you to have the best quality of life in the long run and so if you invest early on you get to have the the best quality of life uh in the long run and then the other th the other thing is to always research and to be a self-advocate because if you don't tell your doctor everything and if you don't really know like what's going on and you and you don't look for answers then it's just going to get worse and worse and worse so we have uh the internet which has a lot of good and bad information so you kind of have to filter through that and then if you're honest with your doctor and saying hey here's everything that's going on and if they can help you great and if they can't then there's another doctor down the road 
that you can always go and see and get another advice from. And I learned the most from just being, or I would offer the most advice from what I learned is that don't be afraid to go search for second opinions. Don't be afraid to speak up for yourself and be that self-advocate because that's the only way you're going to get better is by knowing what's going on and by getting the right uh, medication uh, to take care of yourself. And so that all kind of falls in together. That's so, that's so true. And um, you guys are such great examples of it. And I'm so happy you're both able to join me today because as you both know, like that's what all of this is about to me. And it seems like a lot for both of you too, is patients need to be empowered to find answers and to be active in their own choices and finding those answers and knowing, you know, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to go through these emotions. All that stuff is very real and very true. And don't deny yourself that, but don't deny yourself the future either by staying stuck in a mentality that isn't serving you. Mm -hmm. And you both are such great examples of it. I'm so thankful that you both joined me. Thank you so much. And we'll have some follow-ups coming up in a little bit, but thank you both so much for joining me. And it was such a pleasure to have you both on. This was so awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for having us. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you both. <laughs> Bye.